Hi, my name is Jackie and welcome to After the Last Page, a show where I read books of all genres, some trending and some not, and I'll give you my unbiased reviews. Let's get started. In today's podcast, I'll be talking about a book that brings a new reality where women have the power over men. This book has action, politics, religion, all kinds of different topics. That's right, today we're talking about Naomi Alderman's The Power. My name is Jackie, and this is After the Last Page, the show where I review books. Now, this book was published in 2016, and it's 382 pages. This book is also the winner of Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction. It's a dystopian thriller, and the book is kind of set in multiple point of view, so each chapter is from a different character's perspective. Let's get into today's synopsis. Four characters in a changing world. The power follows the stories of Allie, Roxy, Tundi, and Margot. Allie's a foster kid with a difficult set of foster parents. Roxy comes from a mafia-based family in London that is surrounded in danger. Tundi is a Nigerian boy with a penchant for YouTube videos. Margot is a local mayor and aspiring politician. What do they all have in common? They were all there when it started. The power is the story of a changing world, one where women have great physical power and men don't. When girls begin to be born with an electrical pulse that can bring a grown man flat to the ground, a patriarchal society shifts. The story follows the four characters as they experience the power for themselves in different areas of the world, from the United States to Lagos to a brand new country. In this unique dystopian sci-fi novel, a small twist of nature changes the world's entire future. And now I'd like to get into today's reading. Now, unfortunately, we've been having a few technological issues here at After the Last Page, so the reading for today is a little bit more muted than it normally is, and I apologize for the poor audio quality. Um, unfortunately, it was a library book, so I am not able to re-record that section, so please just bear with me or skip ahead if you're not able to hear it. Thank you. Ten years to go. Roxy. The men lock Roxy in the cupboard when they do it. What they don't know is she's been locked in that cupboard before. Once she's naughty, her mom puts her there. Just for a few minutes, till she calms down. Slowly over the hours in there, she's worked the lock loose with a fingernail or a paperclip in the screws. She could have taken that lock off any time she wanted. But she didn't, because then her mom would have put a bolt on the outside. It's enough for her to know, sitting in there in the dark, that if she really wanted to get out, she could get out. The knowledge is as good as freedom. So that's why they think they've locked her in, safe and sound. But she still gets out. That's how she sees it. The men come at 9.30 in the evening. Roxy was supposed to have gone over to her cousin's that night. It had been arranged for weeks, but she'd given her mom lip about not getting her the right tights from Primark. So her mom says, you're not going, you're staying in. Like Roxy cared about going to her poxy cousins anyway. When the blokes kick in the door and see her there, sulking on the sofa next to her mum, one of them goes, Fuck, the girl's here. 
There are two men, one taller with a face like a rat, the other shorter, square-jawed. She doesn't know them. The short one grabs her mum by the throat. The tall one chases Roxy through the kitchen. She's almost out the back door when he grabs her thigh. She falls forward and he's got her by the waist. She's kicking and shouting, Fuck off, let me go. And when he puts a hand over her mouth, she bites him so hard she tastes blood. He swears, but he doesn't drop her. He carries her through the living room. The short one's pushed her mum up against the fireplace. Roxy feels it start to build in her then, though she doesn't know what it is. It's just a feeling at her fingers' ends, a prickle in her thumbs. She starts screaming. Her mom's going, don't you hurt my Roxy, don't you fucking hurt her, you don't know what you're into, this is gonna come down on you like fire, you're gonna wish you was never born, her dad's Bernie Monk for Christ's sake. The short one laughs. We're here with a message for her dad as it goes. The tall one bundles Roxy into the cupboard under the stairs so fast she doesn't know what's happening until the dark is around her and the dusty sweet smell of the hoover. Her mom starts screaming. Roxy's breathing fast. She's frightened, but she's got to get to her mom. She turns one of the screws on the lock with her fingernail. There's one, two, three twists, and it's out. A spark jumps between the metal of the screw and her hand. Static electricity. She's feeling weird, focused like she can see with her eyes closed. Bottom screw, one, two, three twists. Her mom's saying, please, please don't, please, what is this? She's just a kid. She's just a child, for God's sake. One of the men laughs low. Didn't look much like a kid to me. Her mom shrieks then. It sounds like metal in a bad engine. Roxy tries to work out where the men are in the room. One's with her mom. The other, she hears a sound to her left. Her plan is she'll come out low, get the tall one in the back of the knee, stomp his head. Then it's two against one. If they've got guns, they haven't shown them yet. Roxy's been in fights before. People say things about her and her mom and her dad. One, two, three. Her mom screams again and Roxy pulls the lock off the door and bashes it open as hard as she can. She's lucky. She's caught the tall man from behind the door. He stumbles. He topples. She grabs his right foot as it comes up and he goes down hard on the carpet. There's a crack and he's bleeding from the nose. The short man has a knife pressed against her mom's neck. The blade winks at her, silver and smiling. Her mom's eyes go wide. Run, Roxy, she says. Not more than a whisper, but Roxy hears it like it was inside her head. Run, run. Roxy doesn't run from fights at school. If you do that, they'll never stop saying, your mom's a slapper and your dad's a crook. Watch out, Roxy, will nick your book. You've got to stomp them till they beg. You don't run. Something's happening. The blood, the blood is pounding in her ears. A prickling feeling is spreading along her back, over her shoulders, along her collarbone. It's saying, you can do it. It's saying, you're strong. She jumps over the prone man, grounding and pawing at his face. She's going to grab her mom's hand and get out of there. They just need to be on the street. This can't happen out there in the middle of the day. They'll find her dad. He'll sort it out. It's only a few steps. They can do it. Short man kicks Roxy's mom hard in the stomach. She doubles over in pain, falls to her knees. He swishes the knife at Roxy. The tall man groans. Tony, remember, not the girl. Short man kicks the other in the face. Once, twice, three times. Don't say my fucking name. Tall man goes quiet. His face bubbles with blood. Roxy knows she's in trouble now. Her mom's shouting, run, run. Roxy feels the thing like pins and needles along her arms, like needle pricks of light from her spine to her collarbone, from her throat to her elbows, wrist to the pads of her fingers. She's glittering inside. He reaches for her with one hand, the knife in the other. She gets ready to kick him or punch him with some instinct tells her a new thing. She grabs his wrist. She twists something quite deep inside her chest as if she's always known how to do it. He tries to wriggle out of her grip, but it's too late. She cuppeth the lightning in her hand. She commandeth it to strike. 
There's a crackling flash and a sound like a paper snapper. She can smell something, a bit like a rainstorm and a bit like burning hair. The taste welling under her tongue is of bitter oranges. The short man is on the floor now. He's making a crooning, wordless cry. His hand is clenching and unclenching. There's a long red scar running up his arm from his wrist. She can see it even under the blonde hairs. It's scarlet, patterned like a fern, leaves and tendrils, budlets and branches. Her mom's mouth is open. She's staring. Her tears are still falling. Roxy tugs at her mom's arm, but she's shocked and slow, and her mouth is still saying, Run! Run! Roxy doesn't know what she's done, but she knows when you're fighting someone stronger than you and they're down, you get out. But her mom doesn't move quickly enough. Before Roxy can get her up, the short man is saying, Oh, no, you don't. He's wary, pulling himself to his feet, limping between them and the door. His one hand hangs dead by his side, but the other's holding that knife. Roxy remembers what it felt like to do the thing, whatever it was she did. She pulls her mom behind her. What you got there, girly, says the man. Tony, she'll remember his name to tell her dad. Got a battery? Get out the way, says Roxy. You want another taste? Tony steps behind a couple of paces, eyes her arms, looks to see if she's got anything behind her back. You dropped it, didn't you, little girl? She remembers the way it felt, the twist, the explosion outward. She takes a step toward Tony. He stands his ground. She takes another step. He looks to his dead hand. The fingers are still twitching. He shakes his head. You ain't got nothing. He motions toward her with a knife. She reaches out, touches the back of his good hand, does that same twist. Nothing happens. He starts to laugh, holds the knife in his teeth, grabs her two wrists in his one hand. She tries again. Nothing. He forces her to her knees. Please, says her mom quite softly. Please. Please don't. And then something hits her on the back of her head, and she's gone. And with that, it's now time to get into today's review. Now, I have a lot to say about the power, but first, let me tell you what my star rating is. Today's star rating is 2.5 out of 5 stars. I do want to make a small note here that today's review is going to talk a little bit about the content of the power, which includes depictions of rape, religion, and politics. So if that's not for you, I would probably X out now and listen next week. If you're still here, let's get into today's review. So the power starts off strong, but with a scene that no one really wants to read as a first chapter. A young girl is being brutally beaten and almost raped. While I admire Alderman's tenacity to start a book with such a graphic start, it packs a punch that I'm not sure the reader is ready for so early on. In fact, the beginning of the book hits so fast, it's certainly a book that will stay with readers whether it's enjoyed or not. While I could do without the graphic sex scenes, I enjoyed the first 100 pages of The Power. Alderbit does a great job making the pages flow and fast. The reader's attention is grabbed almost immediately, which is something that's challenging for many authors. Though with these attention-grabbing scenes, the reader starts to expect some level of action, and rightfully so, but that's where the problems began for me with this novel. Although the beginning starts off with a bang, the power loses speed quickly. Once I hit about 100 to 150 pages in, I started to wonder where this book was going. The action scenes slow down immensely, which caused me to pause and analyze what was really happening, which was nothing. <laughs> 
The action scenes in this book are perhaps one of the things that make it so strong. Without the shocking twists, this book does not have much to it. Let me start off by talking about the plot design. The power is supposed to take place over about 10 years. As the book progresses, each section is labeled with a countdown, such as 10 years ago or 5 years to go. The problem with this? The reader expects it to lead into something. Or perhaps this isn't necessarily the problem, as much as it is that the power has a rather unsatisfying and anticlimactic ending. While I won't get into that today, for the sake of spoilers, I was not thrilled with how much leading up to the ending there was, given the lack of action at the end. The second problem I had with the plotline in The Power has to do with the pictures. For each section, there were illustrations of what seems to be relics from the past, as told from the future. However, this is never really explained. It's just there. Sometimes these illustrations are briefly mentioned in different sections, sometimes not. But there's not really any great reason for them, and honestly, I could just do without them. Then, on top of all of this, there's the aspect of the notes at the beginning and end of the book. Essentially, Naomi has a conversation with Neil, who is supposed to be the actual official writer of the book. Now, my gathering from this is that Neil is made up, and both Naomi and Neil's letters are from the future, which is also made up. So I guess Naomi's technically made up too? I don't know. These letters just didn't do it for me. It didn't really explain anything, and therefore, they don't need to be there. In fact, I didn't even finish reading the ones at the end. I simply glanced over them. I felt that this combination of the letters, the illustrations, the countdown to the end, it was all just a little immature, and I didn't feel that it needed to be included. The book would have been much better off without them. As far as content goes for this book, like other dystopian fiction novels, this book is trying to teach us something. It's clear that the power is aspiring to be Ma Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, yet without the finesse and maturity of Atwood's writing. Something that bothered me immensely about the power was how blatantly obvious the moral of the story notes were, especially when the book so clearly was inspired by Atwood's work, which is much more subtle than this novel. In this novel, Alderman focuses on too many issues in the plotline, and I think that's where the story went awry for me. From Allie slash Eve's perspective, we're looking at problems with religion. So Allie's, Allie is the foster child at the very beginning, and she starts off as a lost soul, basically, and she finds her way by pretending to be a character called Eve, who later turns into a pretty large character in this book. So if this book followed Eve and religion alone, I think it would have been good, maybe even great. There are some very clear references to the Bible, even if cliche ones, that made sense. I liked Eve's perspective of the power and how she tries to help other girls, even if she is a little misguided sometimes doing so. Now, I think the voice that she so often references in this book is probably more of a schizophrenic difficulty slash symptom, 
Though she sees it as the voice of God or the devil, she's not entirely sure, and neither is the reader. But following the story alone, the power probably had enough content to focus on everything happening. Yet, that's not it. We have other point of views. And I think that those different perspectives actually dilute the plot. Now, each point of view holds a dystopian trope. We have religion, politics, freedom of speech, and the underground slash mafia aspect. Yet, as expected, each of these categories are corrupted by the power and also not explored enough throughout the plot. Because each trope isn't fully explored, it weakens the overall point, which seems to be, at least to me, that women will entertain the same cruelties as men if given the power over the other sex. Beyond each of these tropes, there are also events happening in the present, environmental changes, minor characters, and then the dystopian, electrical, physical power aspect. There's a lot happening here, and I think it was just too much. The power has been out for a few years now, but when I came across it on a dystopian recommendation list from another blog, I was surprised to hear that I hadn't really heard of it, especially since it claims to live up to the hype of Margaret Atwood, which is one of the best and most widely known dystopian fiction authors of our time, and one of my personal favorites. Yet when I actually picked up the book and read it, I wasn't impressed, and from my re research, Neither were other readers. The Power doesn't have fantastic ratings, even if it seems to have a big following. With over 5,000 reviews on Amazon, 44% of them were less than 5 stars. The book rated similarly on Goodreads, with the average rating being 3.78 stars out of 193,000 reviews. Now, that might not seem that bad, but based on other books that I've read this year, and you guys know I read a new one every week, sometimes more than one, that is not very high. Um, for 193,000 reviews, 3.7 stars, it's not particularly good. Um, and I don't, I don't disagree with them. I think that the frustrating thing for me with this book was that it had a lot of potential. There was a lot here that could have turned out well, but in this case, I don't think as much as there was in it, I don't think that that was a good thing. I wish that Alderman would have skipped the dual point of view and focused on just one perspective, such as writing from Tundi's perspective. He was probably my favorite character, and I really enjoyed his journey. I think that he brought a very different perspective to this book, considering that women have the upper hand in this novel. So to see it from his perspe perspective was really interesting for me. But instead of focusing on one thing, it felt like she tried to combine all of the tropes that she knew would sell and mash them into a book that would hopefully be a bestseller. While this book has been on the top of my favorites list with a unique premise and a challenging look at society, it was a flop for me. While I likely wouldn't recommend this book since I didn't enjoy it, I definitely think that the action scenes were enjoyable and the story was pretty unique, 
So I'm giving this book the rating that I am, which is two and a half stars, because I do feel like it was reaching at something that I enjoyed. I just, it didn't, it missed the mark for me. It really did. If you liked my review of The Power, please be sure to go and check out my blog afterthelastpage.com. There I have today's review as well as a whole bunch of other ones. I also post a blog post every week with something new and exciting, usually different kinds of book recommendations. Um, so there's a new post out every week if you want to go check that out. And if you're not subscribed already to my podcast, please make sure to do that. I have new episodes coming out every Every single Saturday, so if you're subscribed, you'll get the notifications for those. And now it's everyone's favorite part of the episode, or mine at least, <laughs> what I'll be reading next week. Now I'm gonna admit I kind of actually already started this book, so I'm excited to see where it goes. I will be reading It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey. Now I had to get my hands on this book, I've seen it all over Book Talk, all over Bookstagram. Booktube, all of the popular social media channels. I see it literally everywhere. And I finally got a hold of it at the library. I have been waiting literally forever. So I am so excited to talk about it. It's basically this cute rom com where this Schitt's Creek inspired character. Um, I think she gets in trouble with the law, and then her stepfather, I guess, sends her to this little town, um, it's like a fisher's village, where she meets this really grumpy fisherman. So, I'm only a couple of pages into it, but I definitely will have a lot to say by next week, as I'm sure. So, if you're interested in hearing the review for that, again, make sure that you're subscribed, and I can't wait to share my thoughts with you next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to After the Last Page. My name is Jackie, and this is the show where I read books, some trending, some not, and give you my unbiased review. If you liked this episode, go ahead and like and follow our podcast and our blog at afterthelastpage.com. See you next week.